I think above and beyond any of the other success factors that were part of my complete control experience was the quality of the materials. Welcome to Series 2 of the One Year No Beer Podcast. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, then hit that button so you don't miss another episode. Just before we get started with today's interview, I just want to quickly mention one thing that Jen and I do every day. We were so lucky to come across this brand listening to podcasts just like this, and we are so proud to be sponsored by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is literally one scoop of this all-round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfoods, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy recovery, immunity, and digestion. It's so easy. You just get down in the morning, plop open that glass, pour in your athletic greens, and pow, you are doing what you need in one scoop. If you want to join us, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash O-Y-N-B and join the health experts, athletes, and health conscious go-getters around the world who are making a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash O-Y-N-B. Now, don't forget the forward slash O-Y-N-B because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given out to our listeners. A year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs will take with you on the go. Once again, athleticgreens.com. Don't forget, O-Y-N-B. Now let's get started with the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the One Year No Beer podcast. Today, I am your host, Rory Fairbairns, and I am joined by another fantastic One Year No Beer member, Paul, who has been on an incredible journey. Um, and um, part of that journey includes our recent Complete Control program. And I'm excited to dig into a bit of uh, his experience and how alcohol was showing up, and more importantly, the all-important outcomes after coming through some of these experiences with One Year No Beer. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, happy to be here. Paul, do you want to give us a bit of background into into you and, and yeah, and your life? Sure, my whole life. Um, <laughs> yeah, just go, the whole life. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was second grade. Um, no, I was born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I went down to Washington, D.C. for university and except for a brief stint in New York, I never left Washington, D.C. Um, so my, my first job out of, uh, out of university was working for the White House. And from there, I went to the private sector where I did a corporate consultancy for 10 years. And then I was uh, COO for a $2 billion fundraising operation at a national research university. So I um, 
that those are the three pillars of my career so far, and they've all been here in D.C. where I've lived longer than I than I lived where I grew up. I mean, that there's wow. <laughs> and so the White House, super cool. Um, who um, who were you working? Who was the, the president while you were at the White House? Yeah, I was a lucky duck. Uh, I was the youngest person there. Um, I was in I was an intern before they had White House interns, um, and I would I would go down there from university twice a week, and I worked in the what's called the Presidential Advance Office, which I think would also be called a reconnaissance office. We would leave the leave the White House and plan the president's trip. Any event that happened outside of the White House, we would go in advance of him and take care of uh, take care of every single detail that went into a presidential visit. And um, that was for President uh, Reagan. So I did work for him while he was in office. I did some really exciting trips for him after he left office, including a trip to Poland where he met up with Lech Walesa to celebrate the fall of communism. Um, another one to meet the Pope John Paul II, another to Morocco. So I, wow. I did some really exciting, some really exciting things with uh, with the uh, with the President of the United States. It was it was heady stuff. That is amazing. What yeah. age were you then, and and how did you land that job? Yeah, I was um, I was persistent. That's how I landed the job. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was I was 21. I was really young. I was young for my grade in school, um, and I was the youngest person on the White House staff. Uh, so I did that uh, full time. And uh, it's you can only get a 20 something person to do that work. It's crushing because you're away for long stretches of time, and you're away. Yeah. All yeah. But to be to be there and to be in the room when things are happening, even though you're not a substantive part of what is happening, uh, is really remarkable to fly on Air Force One and to uh, to, to represent the president. It's uh, it's something else. So they still have it. It was it's a function that was invented in the Nixon administration um, and was mm. perfected in the Reagan administration. Um, and now it's just a, a craft all of its own. I probably wouldn't recognize it because we didn't have things like fax machines and uh, cell phones to work with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's amazing. And yeah. um, you said, I'm just curious because um, I'm a firm believer of, you know, persistence beats resistance. You know, most important thing is always persistence. It's just, I think it's one of my favorite words, persistence. Um, something I teach my kids and just like, it will, it will break through everything all yeah. walls so so what was it about the persistence what how did you how did you get the job what were you doing i'm curious yeah i it, it was a weird set of circumstances i don't think i could repeat them in the sense that they could <laughs> in history um but i was a, a a sophomore in school and a lot of the kids at school were going to capitol hill to work as capitol hill interns and there were hundreds mm. of them um, I ended up talking to a guy who had moved from Congress over to the White House just to pick his brain about what it is he thought I should be doing while I'm in Washington. And he said, well, you know, I'm working on this private sector initiative for President Reagan. You know, why don't you check in and see what types of opportunities I might be able to offer there? And that was from nowhere, because like I said, there was no internship opportunity. Um, and uh what happened was I was assigned to this really boring office. Uh, it was the it was the comments office that they were the people who the White House operator would d divert all of the calls to that 
weren't of any substance. So people had something to say about Social Security or the state <laughs> economy, and you right. answer the phone politely and take their comments and write them down. And um, forget the time, about them. <laughs> at the time, the president and Mrs. Reagan were planning their trip to China, uh, which was this enormous trip. It was the first one since President Nixon had gone there and uh, they needed an extra set of hands, someone who could come up and answer phones and just help get stuff done. And they called on me and went up there and I made myself indispensable, uh, helping them uh, just do, do whatever it is they needed to do. And they said, could you come here and just keep doing this? And um, yeah. I, I did. So I did that for two years through school. I rearranged my classes to to be there full time two days a week, and when I was finished, I I got a full time gig in in that office doing that work, um, and flew on Air Force One home from New York on the president's last trip as president in 1989. <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. super cool. Yeah. And I've got to ask, but 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 um, yeah, you know, we did the yeah. <laughs> that is the question I'm going to ask now yeah. is. Is that through that experience was alcohol a part of it? Was it in the culture? Was there anything? Yeah, absolutely. In your relationship with alcohol? Uh, not, not for me personally. So I was at a point not then when I would take or leave alcohol, and I was never the last to leave a party. Um, was usually the first one to wake up, but it was a pretty heavy drinking culture. So part of our traveling party was the Secret Service. Um, they've been in the headlines now and again. Um, and uh, some some hint there about what the culture there is. Um, as for the advanced team, there would be a lot of cigars and steaks and martinis and wine uh, dinners uh, at the end of a long day. And I, but at that point, I was 21, and I don't think I could have at that point imagined uh, having more than like a drink or a beer was probably the most sophisticated thing that I drank at that point. But no, there was, there was plenty of drinking that went on. The president didn't drink um, and you didn't drink on Air Force One or anything like that. But um, yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a heavy drinking culture, not at all. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so um, we went from the White House to then um, managing two billion um, oh, yeah. at the stop, university. There was a stopover in the private sector for 10 years. I worked for a, what was <laughs> at the beginning a very small consultancy that went through years of explosive growth and then an IPO. I was on the management team for that. Uh, was traveling 70% of the time, visiting global 1,000 companies, opened our first London office, um, was, was, was very senior with a lot of responsibility and incredibly successful managing teams, launching new, biz new business lines. Exciting. Um, yeah, it was, and it was exhausting. And I knew yeah. that after- a lot of stress. The three years after the IPO, when the golden handcuffs were un, 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 uncuffed, I knew that I wanted to go and it was the right decision for me to move out of that. But in that time, there was, there just, I look back at that and it's been an important part of my complete control learning is to look back at my 35 year old self and to realize that all that I was doing, extraordinary work accomplishments, rise racing up the ladder, was all being done without booze. Um, so we just weren't drinking. Amazing, at, amazing. At, amazing. Um, yeah. And um, 
So just having that nugget of awareness about what I was accomplishing, when I was accomplishing it, where alcohol was in that, um, has just been something that I've that I've that I've tucked away. And I haven't even tucked it away. It's actively at work yeah. and understanding yeah. um, what it is that um, what it is that's happening in my life right now. I um, think that's so big because you know th- what what you've got there is a modality of extreme stress. Um, where traditionally people would absolutely be drinking heavily to deal with that extreme stress. And you're like, well, hang on a minute. I was, I was not only accomplishing, but getting through that stress, but smashing it and, and doing a great job and alcohol wasn't really a factor. So was it, was there, was there no company culture of, of alcohol or were you just keeping out of it? No, that's right. I mean, I was traveling 70% of the time. So there was ample opportunity for me to have my own cultural cultural moment. Um, You know, the hotel mini bar and the airplanes, et cetera. But it just wasn't on my mind. I was too busy racing to be first in the class. And um, (laughs) and that that was my motivation. It just, it didn't occur to me. Um, You know, I would come home and socialize and and drink, but uh, I never drank on the road. I I just, I just didn't. And there was a lot, I I was getting a master's degree at the time too, at the beginning of that, um, before it got super busy. And, um, yeah, I was up really late every night and I would not have been up late every night earning a master's degree, uh, if I was, if I was buzzed or worse bombed. So in waking up the (laughs) next day, having to do it all over again. Completely. That's so interesting. So interesting. And so, um, well, I mean, lots of success there, which is great. And then that led you on to the next stage um, yeah. of, of working I, with the university. Yeah. And the, the the switch from there, going from private sector to higher education, seems like a departure. Um, the university president I was working for was very interested, though, in the business model of our corporate consulting engagement um, and very specifically around the talent model that helped the company succeed, where the, the, the theory was that it didn't matter how old or experienced an individual was, if you walked into the office of a chief marketing officer or a chief technology officer or a chief human resources officer, and they saw in you the intellect, the ambition, um, the talent that they themselves possessed to get to where they were in their career, you could go anywhere. And mm. one of the things that I, this is my personal opinion, um, is at work in, in fundraising in general, is that the people who are being asked to give gifts don't always see themselves in the people who are asking them. And the university president wanted me and a colleague of mine who is also from an alumnus and was also working at the consulting company to come in and to try to recreate a model for a 300 person team to replicate the talent model that we had worked in, in the, in, in the, in the corporate consulting world, specifically find people who want to build a career selling the product, which was higher education to important executives with a lot of money. So it was, it was a transformation effort, a lot like going through an IPO. We were high growth in the sense that we were compound annual growth rate, 10% per year for our fundraising goals, which is really strong and setting really audacious um, fundraising campaign goals. 
and growing the staff by 25% and uh, convincing the university board of directors that, that, that we should be able to do that. <laughs> and <laughs> Exactly. Um, so they, I mean, the White House was nothing politically compared to a big university where the politics are really, really brutal. But wow. um, <laughs> that's saying something. Yeah, we were left alone to to accomplish what what we set out to accomplish, which was to have the effect of a transformation and to have the goals that 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 it that it brought about. Um, and the the university is now embarking on an even bigger campaign, um, having weathered the pandemic, and it's hopefully hopefully going to. I think we put something in place that is lasting, um, but not typical in higher education fundraising. Amazing. Super cool. Um, and so, and, and what about, you know, linking back to the question again is, is what was the booze situation like, um, during this tenure? Yeah, I think that's when, um, I would point to the arrival of problem drinking, um, it was more to do with my personal life. So I had moved briefly to New York. The way I say it flippantly is that I sold everything I cared about and moved to New York to fall in love. And um, unfortunately, um, that didn't happen. And I was badly wounded by that. Um, I moved back to Washington, D.C. I had this new, really exciting opportunity, which was the, the, the COO for fundraising and senior advisor to the president, looking at a, the, the university's largest gift ever. And um, yet I was really sad. Um, and what was happening was a lot of what I would experience, I had experienced um, knowingly or unknowingly trauma with a capital T or a small T, I would say in my case, it was a small T that, um, was, was, was coming forward and clouding my thoughts. And I was extrapolating the failure of this relationship and the pain of this transition to and from another city. Um, I was extrapolating that into this lifelong narrative of failure. And, um, guess what? If you read the label of the of the vodka bottle, it says, you know, open this and you'll feel better. And that's what I was doing. I was coming home from an extremely hard job that was really long hours. I was passionate about it. So I was throwing everything I had at it. And when I got home, I was exhausted and I was sad. And I, um, there was a two-step process. I was, I was drinking too much in the presence of friends. And my friends were good enough to tell me that I was drinking too much in the sense that I was drinking more than they were. And these these are who I would call my hard drinking friends. And they're like, Paul, you have to pump the brakes. And so I did, sure enough, in their presence. Um, but I would keep drinking when I got home. And uh, that that the the way things work, as you know, is that the the, the more you drink, the more you need to achieve the same effect. And uh, I, I won't say that I woke up one morning and realized this had happened. It was more like, I forget who wrote this, but it was in one of the Quitlick books. You know, the, it's, it's the cucumber turning into a pickle. You never, you know, you don't, there's not a moment when that happens, um, but it, it happens and you recognize the pickle. Um, so there I was in a pickle, um, 
looking at myself, uh, drinking uh, in ways that were really harmful. Um, they were harmful in the sense that I don't drink and drive those kinds of things, but they were harmful in the sense that um, I wasn't present all the time. And I was, I was missing a lot of, uh, I was list, I was missing a lot, uh, just, just in terms of, you know, an important lesson this came through in complete control is that, you know, alcohol is an, is an equal opportunity numbing agent. It doesn't just numb the pain that you're trying to avoid, but it numbs your, your feelings of joy, um, your feelings of excitement. Really? So, um, yeah, so I was, I was, I was definitely being affected in a way that I recognized, thank goodness, um, was, was, a, was a problem. I was in therapy at the time uh, for, for related issues. Un, I should say unrelated issues, but they're all related. Um, <laughs> well, and unfortunately, the guy I was with, he was, an, he was a, he was an MD psychiatrist. So he was a pro and he'd been at it for 50 years, but he didn't know a lick about substance abuse. Um, and his, you know, he diagnosed it pretty quickly, but in the sense that, you know, you're drinking too much, but his advice to me was, well, you're incredibly disciplined. So just apply that discipline. The end. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> and it just, <laughs> yeah, so that that cost a lot of money, um, but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't working um, because it wasn't it wasn't fulsome. It wasn't full advice. It was it was it was part of is part of what the process is, but it it uh, it wasn't where it, it wasn't the advice that I needed um, to, mm. to, to change things. Yeah, you're, you're you're on a great track here, and and you know this is getting to the point where it's tough. And you're thinking about change, and you're trying to make change. And um, so you you were you were talking to this psychiatrist, and he'd give you some pretty um, unhelpful advice. And that's just so common. I mean, it's yeah. uh, you know from doctors saying don't stop drinking to it's just extremely common. And I think that um, yeah. I, I think there's many people out there who are getting the wrong advice or getting uh, just not specific enough. You know, it's too yeah. a lot of this generalist thinking around it. Yeah, and I know that your job here isn't to beat up on competitors or nope. other resources, but there's a lot of charlatans out there, and I think that that's really that's disappointing and it's dangerous for some. For some, um, anyway, I should well know that, that around this time, um, I got bad news. I uh, I was I was working really hard at this job, um, raising money and uh, drinking too much. And I found out that I have this incurable blood cancer. And I um, got a really bad prognosis, which has since improved, um, but it's still uncurable. And uh, the reason I tell you that is because I stopped working. And the reason was that I wanted to devote 100% of my energy and my time to my health to understanding the disease and to doing everything that I wanted to do that didn't include raising the next million dollars for a new dormitory. Um, <laughs> it, it was around that time that I was in London celebrating New Year's Eve with my hard drinking friends. And because I was in the UK, my Facebook started to pick up one year no beer ads. And oh, um, we are tenacious. Because <laughs> I wasn't getting inside. Um, but sure enough, when I was in London, uh, for that, for that holiday, uh, I, I got the ads and, um, what was important about what one year, no beer said was not that 
we're here to help you stop drinking. It was be alcohol free, just do it for 30 days or just do it for 90 days. And then you make the decision about how you feel before and after. And we're agnostic about what you decide, but you've got to try this. You've, you, you've got to have the opportunity to see how things are different when you don't have alcohol in your system. Uh, not all of it is good. There's a lot of fit great things, um, but it's hard as hell. And um, sure enough, I signed up in January of 2020. So right before COVID hit and uh, did 90 days to start, um, thought I would thought I had succeeded. And when I went on vacation that summer, um, I, I decided to moderate my drinking. And unfortunately, I didn't like moderation just didn't happen. And um, yeah, the problem didn't go away. Um, I was just back to drinking in the same way that I had been drinking all along. And um, yet it never left me that I needed to, to resolve this. I had switched to a therapist who specialized in substance abuse, did a lot of really good work on childhood trauma and in evaluating um, drinking. Um, some, some, some really, he's a good therapist, um, but I still wasn't cracking the nut. And I um, got the the invitation to complete control. And uh, I decided that I needed to do this because the elements that I thought would make me successful were there. And they most importantly was, I don't like wasting money. Um, next, most importantly was the intensity of the program. So the eight week boot camp where I was going to make just do this really hard thing for a short period of time for a maximized result. Also really important was the fact that this was a small group and the, um, the curation of that group was really essential to, um, to, to what the program was able to accomplish because um, in the tens of thousands of people who are part of the One Year No Beer community, um, having a cohort of people who are pretty are pretty similar in the sense that everyone in the group has had some degree of professional success. They're ambitious. Um, they they want the best for themselves, and they like I have come to a realization that alcohol is getting in the way, um, and uh, that that's been a really critical element of seeing myself in, in the other people in the group. Did you know that we offer loads more support? Yes, I'm talking about time with coaches, Zooms, meeting other people, locking eye to eye, meeting awesome OIMBers who are on the same inspiring journey as you. 
All of those things are available in AFM. We created AFM as a close, small community that is really there to help people master changing the relationship with alcohol. So if you're looking for a little bit more support, you want to meet more OYMBers, or you just want to take your alcohol-free journey to the next level, then check out oneyearnobeer.com forward slash AFM. And if you put in the discount code PODCAST10, capital letters, PODCAST10, we'll get you 10% discount off joining AFM. Just going back into what you said there, you know, about what you, the core things you like, the intensity, the small group connection, you know, as you know, very much by design, very much what science um, demonstrates to us and shows us, it creates the most likelihood for a transformation in people, building commonality, increasing a sense of connection, taking people through a program at the same time, um, fostering that, that, that sense of connection. Um, all of those things are critical. And so um, to hear you play that back to me is fantastic. And as well, I mean, I just back to, the, to what you said about when you saw the ads and about what one year no beer is, what you said there is so beautifully spoken you know clearly our marketing is working i must tell the marketing team um but you know that's exactly it it was it was always designed to be this challenge to take a break to then get a better perspective and for you to decide what you do from there and that will support you with that um, but i think many people will find that alcohol comes back um, find that trying to moderate is difficult um, in a world that doesn't really foster moderation the, the the world is much more geared up towards um binge drinking and binge drinking culture and all of those things um so that's why it's important to follow a program um, or at least get support if if you're going to go down that route but um so coming back to you more importantly and um you know you mentioned about it being a significant investment and not like not wishing to 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 waste any money and i think that's an important part it brings people to the table it's enough that it's a sting that makes you focus on it um, and put the amount of effort that needs to because the truth is it's a lot of effort like you discovered when you joined when you <laughs> when you joined yeah. complete control rather um so do you want to tell us t- tell me a bit about your experience on the program yeah i would start by um, by adding, to, in addition to the small group and the quality of the group, I think above and beyond any of the other success factors that were part of my complete control experience was the quality of the materials. So in those workbooks, so every day, you know, we, or every week you get a workbook, every day you've got an assignment. It, it takes time. Um, you can work around your own schedule in terms of when you're going to do it. But in those materials were the ingredients of what I believe were the, my success in coming through complete control. For example, um, looking at your personality type, not a big deal. A lot of people in the group had done that before. Um, but there were two other factors or two other gauges that were really critical. One of them was a character assessment. Um, what are the character traits that are most prominent in your character? Um, and and there was a list of 24 of them. Uh, and then the others were, what are your core values? Um, and you could look at a long list and come up with, with your top five, top five core values. And 
looking at those character strengths, looking at those core values was was dizzying because I realized how antithetical heavy drinking was to those strengths and core values flourishing. So when I was my 35-year-old self flying around the country, like breaking all records for corporate consulting, um, it was because I was, uh, what were they? Um, I have them written down here. Uh, judgment, honesty, perspective, prudence, humility. Um, and my core values, authenticity, dependability, integrity, compassion, keeping promises. Um, and to imagine leveraging those strengths when when you're buzzed or hung over it was it was really daunting it made me a little sad that you know there i was i was doing great professionally so don't and and i think this is true of a lot of people including people in the group you know people can be successful and have a problem with alcohol but imagine i felt like i was running with leg weights you know that you know it's counterfactual, but but just imagine um, what might have been easier or what might have been different um, had I been waking up with a fresh a fresh sense of things. Um, but more important, and especially in light of in, in, especially in light of my diagnosis, um, to think about the importance of my core values and leveraging my strengths. Um, alcohol doesn't have any place in that. And that's, that's where I've, that's where I've come to. And, and then the real pivot was, if that was the foundation on which I was building this awareness, the real pivot was to, to think about this next step, the next step for me being, I'm just going to not drink for a year. And I'm going to give myself that as a gift. And I'm going to do it in a growth mindset. And I liken it to investing in a master's degree. So mm -hmm. I'm going to do this thing for the next year and I'm going to grow from it. It's going to improve me. It's going to change me. And I ought to be doing that. Um, I ought to be doing that for my own benefit, for the benefits that I know will accrue when clarity comes to my core values and clarity returns to my strengths. And um, those, I mean, those are explosively big um, points of awareness for me. Um, yeah. But Huge. imagine that I've been at this for so effing long and uh, it just, it just never came through like that. Um, yeah. And, it, it, it really was how, how I framed the challenge. Um, and, you know, the, I think one of the big benefits of the one-on-one -on -one coaching that's a part of the complete control is the importance of framing. And I would get caught every session saying something in a negative, uh, in a negative construct. Mm -hmm that yeah. needed to be turned around into a positive construct. So rather than saying, oh, I'm not going, this happened yesterday. Um, rather than saying, um, I'm 
giving up alcohol for a year. Um, you know, the, the, the language is I'm giving myself the gift of being alcohol free for a year in the same way that I would be giving myself the gift of a master's degree. I used the master's degree example um, before, but um, giving yourself anything that's a benefit to you. And that just helps. Yeah, really, really amazing, Paul, because um, this is the thing is that when, just to reflect back on what you picked out, two activities, values, strengths, more, you sort of highlighted the personality part. And it's interesting because the personality part, I think most people, almost all people who've come into the program, I'd say, we've done personality testing before. I would say the vast majority of them are surprised by the result or informed by the result of this personality test is what we, we see in most of them. And then it gives us a modality and them a modality from which to receive the program. So it's like, okay, and that's really the program, right, is to see how it fits you. Um, and the key parts you brought out there those were the ones that shifted you. They shifted you because of your past, because of who you were as a human in, in operating at a higher level at the White House in the beginning. And, and they were the ones that struck you like lightning that was like, wait a minute, I'm not being true to that person I was. Now, that is the kind of life-changing, shift-making thing we are trying to discover for people. And I don't know what it will be. I, I, we've got 20 people who have different lives, different experiences, different ways of operating, different personalities, different impulsivity, different science. I don't know what it'll be, but we're trying to find something that really gets you at the core and makes a fundamental shift to be like, no, 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 now I'm, now I'm done with this bit because I reached that point of absolute leverage for myself. So those are the powerful things. And thank you for bringing, thank you for bringing that up. And I think it is... Um, super, super powerful. Yeah, you mentioned, Paul, that you've been at this a while. Um, you've been you've been trying to do this a while. So I guess, you know, yeah, what made what made coming on complete control different? Yeah, you're right. I've been at this for 20 years trying to understand why it is that I drink when I say I don't want to drink. And um, I've been under the care of a psychiatrist. I've been under the care of a substance abuse therapist. And the things that changed me in complete control were the fact that it was a small group, the fact that it was an intense program, that you had to focus on this for eight weeks. And most importantly, the insights that came from the materials that the program includes are really remarkable. And that's not an exaggeration. Um, the insights that are gained in realizing that the changes that these eight weeks have enabled are for me to have a completely different mindset about where it is that I want to go, the role that alcohol is going to have in my life across the next 365 days and beyond. And I don't think that I've ever had this type of growth mentality, this type of uh, looking positively at an alcohol-free life in a way that complete control provided me. Amazing, awesome, super, super awesome. Um, and so you mentioned already, you, you said that you, um, it looks like you're gonna carry on for a year and that um, that is absolutely one of the most fantastic outcomes for us from the program. You know, we say, yeah. you know, because most people 
are are looking for control and they want to have complete control of their relationship with alcohol. And whilst we are confident that we can give you the tools to control your relationship with alcohol, absolutely all the way through the program, we're going to tell you that you are going to increase the likelihood of you being able to control your relationship with alcohol if you extend that 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 break. And like you said, you know, growing, uh, you know, using a growth mindset to it, it's like, okay, well, how can I create an alcohol-free version of me in Technicolor in all of my areas of life, which is just so awesome, so that when I'm presented with the choice, right, of shall I drink or shan't I drink, I don't just have a shall I drink being it's fun, it's relaxing, it's happiness, I hang out with everyone, I don't feel all these other horrible problems, I just fit in. Right. And then not drinking, being boring, rubbish. I hate it. I drink water, you know, et cetera, because <laughs> what control are you going to have in that situation? Right. The truth is we're building that version where you're like, this is the alcohol free version. And it's amazing. In fact, it's definitely always the best choice. And you're like, no, actually, I don't want to go down the drinking route. I'm going to take the alcohol free version. And that is what you give yourself the gift of by taking a longer break and continuing to implement these tools. Which, going on from that, you are continuing to work with us ongoing. We're still working with you in the Limitless Control Program, which follows on complete control to support you implementing um, these programs. So how have you found um, Limitless Control and how are you finding the support ongoing? I knew that I wasn't going to, as transformative as the change was that I experienced in the eight weeks of complete control, I my instinct was that I couldn't stop at eight weeks and expect to succeed. Um, there's there's too much work to be done. And because I continued to make marked progress toward my understanding of myself and my how I've been revising my goals and my sense of what I want my future self to, to look like, uh, I didn't want to stop. And six months seemed like a a good long time to to continue to rewire my brain into into the type of thinking that I've that I've developed about alcohol. Namely, there's very little that alcohol brings to the party, um, and you know, sitting down to dinner and deciding whether or not to order a cocktail or wine, and asking myself what 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 will alcohol change about this evening, and um, and realizing the answer is nothing, and um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but but it's it's darn hard, um, and there are still a lot of questions that I have that I want to get answered. And I'll say that the benefit of the smaller group, including limitless control, is the the, the precision that you can get when you're in a smaller group. So. I'm asking a question that's specific to Paul and his history, um, and I'm getting an answer that's tailored to that. And those answers are the effective answers. Um, so that's uh, that's a that's a really important value that this program brings to me uh, because yeah. I know that that it's it's not a cookie cutter. It's not me looking at someone else's alcohol free experience and trying to interpolate how it is that yeah. that relates to me. Um, so yeah. that's been really important. Fantastic. Um, well, it's been amazing to have you on the program. And I guess that leads me on to um, the question, you know, you're, you're, you're carrying on for a year. Do you recognize any changes for you? Has there been any, um, you know, you're, I know you're on this health mission yourself. 
Um, have you seen any changes now that you've removed alcohol in, in, in um, uh, you know, focusing on your health, etc.? A hundred percent. I mean, the, and I think anyone in anyone who's been without alcohol for two weeks, let alone a month or more, um, recognizes and reports the incredible difference. Um, the, the physiology of ridding your, your body and your brain of alcohol and having it out of your system. I wake up every single morning more confident. I, I, I never experienced the type of anxiety that was my daily companion. And yeah. I, um, and I just, I feel enlightened. Um, but, and maybe this is something that you might think naturally would have come up earlier in the conversation, but um, about the diagnosis, this program has done something very specific to change my outlook about that. And okay, yeah. the, the reason, the, 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 the nature of the change has been that a prognosis of five years changed to a prognosis of 10 years and my own internal decision to say, okay, I'm going to step back from work and I'm going to coast to the finish line. Um, I'm going to tidy up all of my affairs. I'm going to get everything set. Um, has now been changed to what do you want to do for the next 30 years? And that was the first time that I've stopped and looked past the 10 years and recognized that a transformative effect of me looking forward and expecting something different and even more successful is the fact that I can take alcohol out of the equation, take off the, the leg weights that I've been running with and just enjoy things more. And that's, I forget when that came up. I was, I was, <laughs> I was on a call I mean, with that one. That's unbelievable. That's I was amazing. on a call with one of the coaches in London and um, that came out and I said, wow, okay. <laughs> that was really profound. So I wrote it down and uh, it's been a big part of my reflection because it changed something that's been my mindset for the last five years since I was diagnosed. It's unbelievable. I, I've got goosebumps and, um, you know, the, uh, hope, one of the greatest piece of research into hope and how important hope is in, in the transformation of a human, in, in depression, anxiety, all sorts of societal problems, all of these things. And the single factor of hope actually can be transformational for our for our brain, our bodies, our repairing, like everything else. Like you've gone from winding down, right? Thinking about winding down, which is a very very tough place to be. Um, and I have a friend who's recently been diagnosed with something, and he is trying to understand this right now, being communicated that he needs to think about winding down, um, which is really tough to what you have gone to now is actually thinking, what future can I create? And um, what am I going to do for the next 30 years, which is just amazing. That's amazing, Paul. Um, I'm so glad we've been a part of that. I'm so glad that we've helped you helped you get there. You know, it's clear that you had made a decision to, to, to focus on this. I'm really glad that 
we were part of the vehicle that helped you get there. Yeah, I'm just talking now because I think that's amazing. Thank you. And I would say that I would say that winding down and the mentality of winding down is so much easier when you're buzzed. (laughs) Um, Exactly. Well, to process it. I mean, good God, come on. When we talked earlier about it being an equal opportunity numbing agent, you know, it was also robbing me of my sense of joy and adventure and love of learning. And uh, I was doing all those things at the same time that it was relieving the the pain that comes with mortality. And it was, uh, uh, it, it, it will change and transform the way that I think about my day when I wake up. Have you, have you been in and, um, you know, done, done some physical tests and blood tests and, and markers have changed and improved or was this, is this all the, your, your positive focus and outlook and decision, which I know the latter will, so the former will follow, but, um, yeah, have you, have you seen a physical change? Except for the cancer, I'm in pretty good shape. Um, And I would say that the big markers of my success are the sense of self, the sense of confidence every day, um, the the absence of anxiety almost every day. And everybody experiences this, but, you know, the, the whole bloat of being a heavy drinker just goes away. And, um, it just makes you feel better. I mean, I dropped five pounds in the first week that I stopped drinking and, uh, didn't change a thing about my diet. And, uh, you know, one of the focuses, as you know, at present in limitless control is diet, nutrition. Um, and, uh, that's all part of the whole person, uh, you know, feeling, feeling physically strong in addition to feeling mentally strong and having something like that, the wind at your back of saying like, yeah, I'm in great shape and, uh, I'm not hung over and I'm, you know, yeah. I'm sharp at my tasks and I can exceed or excel. Um, those are, uh, those are all now possible. Amazing. Um, well, it, it is, it is, yeah, it's amazing the 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 power of a mindset and the and the, and the choice and the difference. And you are still living with this. And I, you know, I, I genuinely wish you all the best. And I know you're still with us in um, limitless control as we continue to work on these things. And I would, uh, hey, it would be really interesting to see with this new change, this positive focus, and all these things, how your health does um, does uh, continue to improve even though, as you said, you've been diagnosed with a rare form of blood cancer. Um, I've got that right, haven't I? Yes, you do. And I would say that... Because I tend to say some stupid things sometimes. No, if no, I've no, said no. anything stupid, I apologize. Um, it's, um, or it's, missed, missed it entirely. So Yeah, it's a, it's a blood cancer. And I've, um, it's, it's not... I'll just say this in case it, in case it works. Um, the fact that I've now surpassed the median success of patients on the, on the, on the medicine that I'm now taking, um, I'm a little bit of a wonder boy. And I believe the reason is that I've been focused really, really fiercely on physical health, personal training, 
Um, what this program has added as well, which we haven't talked that much about, is mindfulness meditation. Um, just imagine the 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 effects that alcohol potentially could have, and the absence of alcohol will have on my ability to continue to be strong. Because one yeah. of my doctors said, um, one of my oncologists said, you know, the immune system is 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 really hard off when it's under the pressure of, of alcohol and you have an immuno, uh, uh, you have an immune, immune disease. So, um, give it as much, yeah, give it as much potential for success as possible and, and remove out one of the, the worst contenders. So, um, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Paul. And thank you for being, you know, on this journey with us and being a supporter and, you know, coming on the podcast and sharing. Um, and, um, you know, it's been wonderful to go through this this experience with you. You were in the second group of Complete Control and you also had a very, very, I mean, super awesome feedback and very, very helpful feedback as we rushed to continually improve um, the program and your your feedback has just been so pertinent to that. And I know, I'm sure, you know, now you're in limitless control, you're already seeing the improvements that you've talked about and things like that. So, um, yeah, just very grateful to you. Um, well, uh, likewise, I'm grateful to you. You deserve a lot of credit. Um, and the the content, the perspective, the insight that you brought to creating the, the call it a product, but the program. Yeah. Um, yeah. is, 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 is really important and it's served these people really well. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm very grateful to have been a part of, a part of it, uh, and delighted after 20 years of trying that, that it seems to be working and it seems to be like a hardwire change. Um, mm. and it's going to be hard, but I'm giving, like, like I said, I'm giving myself the gift of. 365 and uh i'm going to come out of this better different and accomplished um so that that's something i would never ever ever have said uh three yeah. months 365 i i couldn't imagine it i would have been right away to what am i gonna do about christmas what about valentine's day what about summer vacation um and i those are all secondary concerns right now that is off under the fall under the category of I'll cross the bridge when I get to it and I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it then. Amazing. Good. Well done. Well done on your journey, Paul. And um, thanks for coming on the, on the show. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the One Year No Beer podcast, where our mission is to share and tell the stories of the everyday heroes who are taking the steps to make a meaningful impact by changing their relationship with alcohol. If you want to join our community and find out more about the variety of benefits that you can enjoy by becoming part of our 80,000 plus members within our alcohol-free movement, then click the link in the show notes below.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.